Hi everyone, welcome to the AI of Mankind show, where I share anything interesting about mankind. I'm your host for this season. My name is Andrew Liu. I've worked across four continents and 12 international cities. Also, I've worked in tech startups across a range of roles from selling products, making customer happy, figuring out fundraising, making finance tick, building teams, and developing sticky products. Apart from building startups, I've also worked in Fortune 500 companies as a chief data scientist or technologist or people leader. You can call me Jack of all trades or master of learning. I hope to make this podcast show a great learning experience for us. In each season, there is a series of interesting things where I invite guests to share their views about their life and interests. Now let the show begin. In the previous episode, George offered his views on how can low-code enable agility, especially on creating complex apps. He also explained how will low-code help in completing the specification requirements from 80% to 100%, and why big brands low-code companies have billion-dollar valuation. This episode continued the part 3 conversation with George, and George shared his views on to convince management to start digital transformation using low-code. Let's continue. So, let's suppose that a CIO or CEO say, hey, Josh, I'm still listening to this podcast. Let's have a chat. I want to build something with you. Now, what would you say to them to how do they going to build a business case to justify to the board to use low-code uh, for their solution? Help them. Give them some advice, please. Uh, actually, very simple. Just get five quotes from five different vendors. Get one quote from us also. You'll find that we win. <laughs> Both price and speed, we will be better. Okay, fantastic. You just have to justify the need for the application. That should be good to the board. But when you get five quotations and try to call vendors, then it's all about speed and efficiency and how well you deliver. And that has to be written in your contract. So, in terms of the solution, does it cover a range of spectrum from different industry like banking, finance, logistics, or like this low-code thing is very niche? Like, how does it work? I call it a transaction-oriented system. It doesn't matter which industry, so we have done almost 30 different types of applications in different domains. All domains we have done, financial services, uh, software services, you name it, we have got that. Among the 13 verticals or 13 sectors or industry, can you give us an example of which industry you think that has the most complexity and why? It's hands down, financial services runs on software. Almost everything is centered around financial services. So that's why complexity is there. But financial services have a lot of compliance-related implications. And that's why space is slow for them. We don't blame them. They've got to deal with a lot of regulations around this thing. And, and so they, they all move slowly. But that's why the most needed. Uh, however, the ones that move fast are really the startups can quickly build apps and uh, meet the existing incumbents. So uh, it ranges. We've seen all sorts of things. But we've definitely seen that service-oriented companies are the ones that need it most. Okay, so you have financial services, they are the most complex. But when you mention about financial services, are we talking about like 100 apps or 200 apps? That's why it is so complex. Or it's just, it so happened that you only deal with one project or something like that. The very nature of a financial services organization is complex. And I think it depends on the size of it. As I mentioned earlier, numbers are, Fortune 500 means thousands of apps. 
companies mean 200 or 300 apps. So it's very complex and we are juggling that. Across industries, everybody has lots of apps to get developed and no portion of general solution for all. So in summary, you're saying that they decided to go with you to build out that project or whatever system that you want. And then once you have what I call workflow, then you digitize the workflow that generates data. So now, where do you see AI in the process of digital transformation? AI is crucial and AI is rapidly picking up. And I think that while the low code is not so well known, AI is a well known, everyone knows that AI is happening. But the same way, this low code revolution is also happening in Paris. Now, as far as AI is concerned, I'd say that it's moving very rapidly in the consumer-oriented space. For example, social media, you can see that it's predicting what articles you should see or what ads you should see, and they're getting better at that. To take e-commerce, the apps are getting better, and that's because there's an AI engine that's able to initially what would take half an hour to reach your home is reaching your house by 10 minutes. That's not possible because AI is doing a lot of active work. In education, and a lot of things are happening on various fronts as far as AI is IoT devices that are automatically recording things. So it's a big topic altogether. But AI is across the board. The way it's being added into companies is happening in phases. Companies are experimenting. Now, I'll break it up into three possible stages. The first stage would be more like quick insights, help. It is supporting, it is not managing. So for example, a chatbot would help you to give to a response uh, just to something you need. But chatbot would sometimes be wrong. A joke that I've just now I got a support call with a chatbot. It was all going fine. And suddenly it says, okay, you can find more details in this link. And I click on the link, it shows me another language. And languages <laughs> is, so it got it 80%. So they're getting better at it. So insights are coming in. Like when you type ahead on Excel, it suggests the next column for you. So this, this kind of insights comes. The next stage is going to happen in general in B2B businesses is that planning decisions start being taken by the AI system because AI is now better than people because they've got dealing with a lot more data. And I don't know what will happen after that because when the machine is now suggesting better than the person, then comes singularity, but that's probably 15 years away, hopefully. Okay. But essentially, that those three stages, everything will go through those three stages. Insights, decision support, decision takeover. And companies are slowly doing these steps one by one and each project is being treated as a separate ROI, small project, take the next one. So I think over the last two years, use cases that are successful are getting better. So you're saying that AI has been very useful in generating insights, in augmenting decisions. Now we're living in a post-COVID-19 world and a lot of people have to work remotely and a lot of apps are being digitized. So what do you think about the impact of AI or artificial intelligence in the development on the future of work? Future of work, I'm not very good at predictions, so no one is, but essentially we can all see that it's all moving to a hybrid world. People will work at home or come to office depending on the situation, and uh, HR has got a lot to deal with handling uh, the policies related to working hybrid. Now, I think the bigger problem is just ensuring that the systems work in place and better tools are available for people to work better from home, like how you've seen all these uh, remote working tools happen. If you ask me where the prediction will happen, I think it will go back from hybrid to 100% work from anywhere situation, where because the meeting rooms are going to be the center of artificial intelligence, where you are planning a meeting, a lot of the meetings will be intelligently set up, and when you're meeting, uh, you will feel like you're talking to pe people even though they're halfway around the world. You will have avatars of yourself sitting on conference room tables while you're not actually there, and yet you will seem like you're in a meeting. So to do all this, there's a lot of AI and a lot of hard work to happen, and I think it's going to take years before it actually happens. But definitely the pandemic itself 
accelerate this situation one fine day, I realized that you don't need to leave your home for anything, including work. You can sit in uh, in home and do your conference, your meeting, etc. And I don't know what kind of world that will be, but that will happen sometime in 10 years from now. So you can predict the path between now and then for all that. I see. Okay, so it's a hybrid form of work. Some people will work at home, some people will come to office and the meeting rooms is where there's a lot of application of AI. It could be transcribing notes, it could be taking voice to text, it could be even scheduling meetings. And so that could be the future of work. Now, having said that, people need to adapt to a new behavior. People need to use low-code. Big companies, small companies, everybody needs to skill. How does low-code enable skilling of people, whether it's tech people or non-tech people, to enable the companies to move fast with digitization? Low-code really helps it. Low-code will help building better apps to ensure that people can use the term self-learn more. Everything is moving towards self-learning, a lot more towards self-learning or maybe collaborative learning okay? and topic-based learning rather than going to a large program. So the way the Udemy's and the Coursera's of the world are coming out with better and better programming programs or people are having shorter courses specifically to learn. I want to learn ML, for example. Prediction, what I think would happen is career paths are set up by a combination of a company as well as an individual. So if you're a consultant or individual or freelancer, you set up your own career path. Whereas if you're a company, you would set up career paths for, let's say, high performers or different people have different career paths. And you accelerate that by enabling them to participate in virtual courses conducted internally or externally. And the quality of the courses are going to get better and better as we have better content and better tools like virtual reality, which will make it even more better. I was thinking more along the line of companies, big or small, have been traditionally hiring software engineers and let's say if the latest language is Angular JavaScript, they will get them to learn Angular JavaScript and then they have to learn and the learning curve can be quite steep if a guy who's Java coming to JavaScript or R coming to JavaScript. But let's say if they were to use Stragility or some other local platform, because it is so easy to use, the learning curve is very short and therefore they are able to learn and put it into production very quickly. What is your view on that? Low-code will help the people who are building applications learning to do things better. But I think that flexibility has to be built in by the person who is building the application that is flexible enough to handle different situations. Like today there are apps in learning where there are apps for running virtual university today. There are apps for running for an individual sitting at home to set up a, a training program and set up a bunch of courses and on their own. There are apps to put your content in. All kinds of apps are coming out there and it's getting innovative. So I would rather give the credit to those innovative companies to improve the low-code, the learning and development area rather than low-code. So you're saying that there are more innovation in learning and development apps. It doesn't matter whether the guy is using traditional software engineering or using low-code because the learning curve are the same? It doesn't matter on what uh, the tools that people use are something like uh, whether you use one brand of concrete to build a building or another brand of building. End of the day, the building needs to be built. So let's leave it to the developers to decide what platform they're going to use. Low code is more of the uh, construction material, whereas the actual app is built by companies, by individuals building these apps. So that's where all the innovation is going to happen. So I'm not putting low code here, I'm putting more more like the quality of the apps which will determine how well learning is. Uh, so you're saying quality of the application production is also a factor even though you can have a low code 
that makes it easy for the developer to use it? Absolutely. It's like this. Uh, if earlier I was using wood to build a building and now I have concrete. It's still that those days there were people are building, using wood to build nice houses. This is how I see how low-code makes learning easy to build a better core workforce, keep talents in today's world. Traditional software engineering is like using an axe to chop a tree. It will help. Okay. Now, low-code is like using a chainsaw to chop the same tree here. And then a chainsaw definitely be faster than an axe. So let's get started. There you have it, a felled tree, and now look at the greenhouse is in full song. Yeah, that's a better example. Absolutely, you gave a better example. So, so if an X is so much effort, and maybe it takes a longer time, let's say it takes, let's say, three years to be a skillful axe chopper, just to chop a tree, whereas a chainsaw, maybe it takes like maybe 30 minutes or one hour to learn how safe it is, how to ramp it, how to charge the chainsaw, I'll be able to chop the tree in shorter time. Absolutely, it's just that you still need an experienced person to come and make sure when you're cutting the tree falls in the right way, it doesn't fall in your head. <laughs> so, so you've got to do it carefully, you've got to build it like how you're doing it, except that you do things faster, that's all. So I, I can put it this way, see, in low code nothing changes, it's just that each stage becomes faster. You do the specking faster, you do the design faster, you do the development much faster, and you do the testing much faster. So, can I say that if a junior software engineer were to use low-code platform, he will still be as good as a senior software engineer? Yes. Just turn that same thing slightly different. Mm. Uh, earlier, uh, to build a complex app, you'll need a team which involves a project manager, involves business consultants, you will need a technology architect, you will need a solution architect, you will need a senior developer for front-end, senior developer for the back-end, senior developer to write the web services, and then you'll need a tester. So you're talking about minimum so much. Minimum is so much to do it. Okay, that's why they look for low, uh, full stack developers who are supposed to do all this. You never get a good one. It's very rare to get a good full stack. Whereas with low code, what happens is the entire stack is built automatically. You're only attaching rules. You're only changing the UI. So the team now changes to a very good consultant who will model the system. Maybe a front-end developer who's going to do some special UI for end users and somebody who writes business rules for custom logic that's required. So you're seeing the team size shrink from a very large team to a small team to build any complex application. That really is a game changer. If it's easier to learn and faster to deploy, then companies are definitely way more open because now we're living in a world where it seems that skillful technological talents are in short supply. And so one way is either we go back to the government, uh, ramp up a lot of schools or mo mobile open online courses, which is MOOC, and hopefully there's a lot of software engineer or developer. Now with this kind of low code, I can immediately get output with less people and they're easy to learn to use the tools. Hi everyone, thanks for tuning into this episode. We have come to the end of part 3 with George. In the next episode, we will continue with George on part 4 which George talked about his NIPS. Finally, he will share with us some career tips to build a career with AI. Hi guys, thanks for listening to this podcast. If this is the first time you are tuning in, remember to subscribe to this show. If you have subscribed to this show and love this episode, 
please share with your friends, family, and acquaintances. See you later and see you soon. Thank、you